This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pram. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into today's mailbag, where you guys submitted your questions on everything related to Oregon sports and recruiting. Uh, I want to make aware that if you are not a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, today is a good chance for you to try us out because you can get $1 off your first – not $1 off, excuse me. You could get $1 for your first month. Or if you want to go the other direction, you can save 50% off an annual subscription to DuckTerritory.com. Uh, our normal pricing right now for a, an annual membership is right around $75. So you can get DuckTerritory.com for, I don't know, 38 bucks thereabouts for an, an entire year. Uh, insane value. Uh, you compare that to the month-to-month price of $9.95, you only need four months to get to that point in in time of where you're already starting to save money. So huge, huge savings by subscribing up, subscribing to duckterritory.com for an annual membership. I highly encourage you guys to consider doing that if you can. All right, now let's dive into this mailbag. We've got six questions, some of them recruiting, some of them basketball, some of them are kind of behind the curtain type stuff of how we operate on uh, duckterritory.com and when we make our predictions and whatnot. Yeah. And we're going to start there, Matt. And I love this question because I don't think it is something we would really have taken time to kind of explain what goes behind some of these processes. So from at Segaduck underscore 75, I've always been curious what goes into a crystal ball prediction. Does the person who predicts have inside information or are they making an educated guess? Some insight into how the process works would be fantastic. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag Sega. I think it's a really interesting question about kind of how I guess you would say that the bread gets made here at not just Duck Territory, but all 24-7 sports. Um, Matt, you put these in a little bit more frequently than I do. I need to be better probably about putting these in. What goes into your mind typically when you go through a process? Is it an educated guess? Typically, do you have some inside information? Um, walk me through that process. For yeah, you. I won't. I won't necessarily tell you where I get the information from, but I I don't just uh, educatedly guess where guys are going. I I feel like I'm more conservative than others with the crystal ball. Um, sometimes that means I'm oftentimes the you know third, fourth, fifth person to to put in a crystal ball for a player. Very you know, I, I used to be out there trying to be first and I, you know, wasn't following my own reporting logic of I'd rather be second and right almost every time than first and wrong. Um, yeah. In just terms of any kind of reporting. And so I, I have 
kind of gone more conservative with my crystal balls over the last year and a half, two years. Um, I was much more open to projecting out a little bit further, you know, prior to that. Uh, but now it, it's, it's taking in the information that I know, taking in the information uh, of what I've been given from some inside sourcing, whether that's at, at Oregon or whether, whether that's somewhere else from outside the program. And then, throwing that into the, the, the data that I've got along with speaking to the recruits, speaking to the, you know, the recruits of you know, the parents recruits and people are tied to those people and knowing what they're telling me and, you know, do they align? And if they align, that's how I usually get to a crystal ball um, prediction. And I, I feel like it, while I may be kind of, well, I'm, well, I'm more reserved with my crystal balls. Um, I do have a hundred percent hit rate right now on the 2021 recruiting class. Not bad. And I like to view it as if I, if I place a crystal ball, I would hope our readers um, and our listeners here on the podcast are going to understand, well, then this is almost a a guarantee that it's going to be a commit for Oregon or be a commit for another school, because I usually don't do it until I feel with, with it, with pretty certainty that this guy is going to commit to whatever school I'm crystal balling. A follow-up that I'm guessing some of the fans and those listening might wonder, is there a certain benchmark a recruit would need to reach in terms of they need to probably have an offer, I would assume, for you to make a crystal ball? And do you like it when they've at least made it on campus? Or are you comfortable just based upon intel you're learning um, casting a crystal ball without either of those or, or maybe just with a with an offer without a visit? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, there's a couple guys where I've – I've made some um, some crystal balls prior to them landing at Oregon. Um, one of them, uh, let's let's go with Demir Collins, okay, mm-hmm. twenty twenty one player. He got an offer from Oregon. He, you were the first to report that last summer at Saturday Night Live, and I instantly put Oregon as his crystal ball because we knew he was high on Oregon based off what he he had told you. Um, and I also looked at the track record that Oregon has with in-state prospects that they offer. And, you know, I, I felt like he was going to go to Oregon. And so that was maybe a little bit of, of some projecting further out than normal, but we also couldn't project that Oregon, you know, less than a year later would hire his high school football coach to be, right. you know, to be an off-field staff member. So um, I have crystal ball guys to Oregon. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe if, if, Don Johnson was not in the recruiting department at Oregon and Oregon had, had offered Demir Collins. I firmly believe Demir Collins would have landed at Oregon instead of Oregon state, but Oregon couldn't recruit Demir Collins because, you know, NCAA rules because of hiring his coach. So that kind of changed things. Keith Brown is another one um, Oregon offered. And I, I knew he was high on Oregon before his offer and instantly when uh, they offered, I, I put a crystal ball in. Jonathan Flo is another one. I've done the same thing. Um, just knowing you know, his interest in Oregon, uh, Justin Flo now being at Oregon, that was one that you know, made a lot of sense easy early on. So uh, very rarely do I, do I do them for players prior to gain, gaining a scholarship offer, um, but I've done it maybe a, a handful of times. All right, let's move on to the second question here where Nat Fod wants to know what's going on with the safety position in the recruiting class. What's going on at safety in this recruiting class? 
we seem to only have a shot with one of the safeties we've offered so far. And the last two classes weren't very deep or super talented at safety either. Could any linebackers or cornerbacks make the switch? Hashtag aughts and audibles. Um, I think my first response to this is uh, Orc is recruiting really, really well at every other position. I, I'm not sure I'm counting out, counting them out entirely at safety, especially when it's mid-June or I guess even late June now. Um, Matt, does that seem a little bit premature? And then let me, we can talk about the second part where Oregon could maybe move a player positionally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they've got players that are, that are interested in Oregon. Um, you know, Taishim Johnson, uh, Marion Gordon, Donovan McMillan, Jeffrey Bossa, you know, those are four names to, to kind of just keep tabs on. I mean, they had a commitment in Anthony Beavers, you know, he was a safety prospect. He, he flipped to USC, um, Oregon, I, I think, has stopped recruiting him even. They're not trying to, to flip him back. Um, I think that may say something uh, about where they view Beavers in today's climate from a recruiting perspective for 2021. They've got some options, but I look at this position and think even though they have Javon Holland, who's likely, you know, he could play nickel, he can play safety. Um, but he's likely gone after this year. And even though they also have Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze, two guys that will graduate, and that leaves them with just Verone McKinley, who has playing experience at the position and is, is also a starter. Um, I, I still think this group is pretty loaded. When you consider they signed Bennett Williams, Steve Stevens was an All-American, and he's still in the program. He will be going into his sophomore year and – you know, Triquez Bridges can play multiple positions in the secondary, kind of like what Verone and Javon Holland done. Um, you know, they've got they've got guys on the roster already and a lot of depth. And so I I don't necessarily think this is a, a position in 2021 where it's they absolutely must have a verbal commitment at this position, much like we we've said about tight end. Um, so I, they've got a couple options. They've got four true safeties that they've offered and the. the that they're still, you know, considering Oregon or that I view as Oregon has a decent chance at landing. So they've got options. Now, the second part of the question, um, we can discuss that one pretty much at, at will, I think. Yeah, and, and I should say just really quickly that we're on the same page in terms of the current roster construction. I don't feel concerned long-term. I, I Maybe long-term, like past 2021 and 22, maybe I start getting a little concerned. But, like, you have Bennett Williams, who's – really good and will challenge to start this year and he's only a junior so he'll be back for 2021 you have Ron McKinley who you mentioned and Steve Stevens who are both entering their redshirt sophomore seasons and they have three years of eligibility um two after 2021 so I, I look at this group and just think there there maybe there's some urgency but I don't think there's a ton um going forward also Jamal Hill's another name I know he plays a little nickel um and, and Triquist Bridges you mentioned a couple guys that are some versatility there um in terms of moving like a linebacker or a corner over, I just don't see any linebackers on the team fitting on that. Like Adrian Jackson would be the closest thing to that, but he weighs 230 pounds, and I don't see how he's going – unless he's going to cut weight and play at 215 or 210, I don't see how he plays safety. We should note he played safety in high school, so that would be maybe a logical one. Um, at corner, I mean, maybe you could move some guys around. I mean, maybe Mikhail Wright is better off at safety just because he gets to play more. Um, but going into the 2021 season, that doesn't factor in because Graham and Lenora graduated. So I think he's locked into one of those starting corner spots. So I don't know uh, about you, Matt, but I look at this and kind of think, I think Oregon, 
has some talent past 2020 at the position going forward. I think they're in terms of players on the roster, they could move. I don't see a lot of like logical fits and frankly, um, linebacker to safety is a pretty big move, maybe corner to safety, but I, I don't see it. Jalen Davies is a corner that's committed in 2021. That could, that could slide up to safety if, if, if they need him to. He's coming in as a cornerback, four-star cornerback, top 150 player, but you know he has the ability. We had Greg Biggins on this podcast last week discussing his commitment, and, and he's, he said that Davies has that ability uh, to, to play the position at safety if, if Oregon needs him to. So that could be a luxury that Oregon's holding in their back pocket is if, if they go out and they swing for some fences and they don't land anybody and they, you know, this 2021 recruiting class arrives on campus and they go through spring ball and then, then they go through summer camp and they realize we need help at, at safety. We're not where we need to be. They have that option to at least discuss with Jalen Davies about moving him over to safety because he can play the position as well. And I think another guy, JJ Greenfield, um, I think is kind of more of a safety than a corner based upon what we saw in spring. So that's another name to know. And, and I think fans listening probably have forgotten about Steve Stevens. I know Matt mentioned him earlier briefly. I, I think that's a name to just be aware of. Um, I don't know if it's going to be this season because they're so loaded in the secondary. But that's a really high-end player. And I watched him when he was in high school a little up at the opening and, and was really impressed with just his athletic skills. I know he's not like a straight-up burner in terms of the speed, but – Athletically, he fits, and, and I think could be someone that fits in eventually, but obviously it's not going to be probably um, in 2020. Um, I think Davies makes some sense. Oregon's, all three of Oregon's corner commitments are all about six feet in height, so there is some size there um, to possibly move around as well. So good question from Nat Fod. I think um, safety position, with all the success Oregon has had, recruiting basically every other part of the team, that is the one where maybe you look and, and, and think that they have had, I don't want to say the least success, but where maybe they could address it. Third question from at Altman Fever. Who would you rank as Oregon's best five NFL prospects? Any upcoming drafts just have to be on the team this fall. We've done similar exercises in the past year. Um, I wrote down my five. Why don't I run through my first three and you can run through your first three and then we'll talk about our top two, which I'm going to guess are going to be very similar. Sure. Um, I've got at five, five through three, I didn't really rank these too much in order. I just, they're kind of interchangeable, but I think between Justin Flo, Mikhail Wright, and Javon Holland, those three defensive players, those guys are probably all have the upside to be first round draft choices. Obviously they've played a combined, I think three seasons between them. So it's kind of premature. We haven't even seen Flo yet, but um, upside wise, I look at those three and think I could see Justin Flo being a first round pick. Javon Holland is already being projected as one um, after the 2020 season. Mikhail Wright has similar, um, I guess people think, see him similarly to Holland in terms of where he could go. I think those three guys, to me, are, are players that haven't entirely, I don't want to say not entirely proven it. Maybe, maybe there's room to prove it a little bit more, but the ceiling is there. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think our list is going to be very similar. Mm -hmm. Um uh, because I have those three guys also as my five through three. And we're not talking, right, first round. We're just talking just no, pure, yeah. right. pure NFL draft prospect. Um, I, I, think, I think Justin Flo is stepping onto campus with an idea that he's at Oregon for three seasons. And when he leaves Oregon uh, after three seasons, he's going to be in some shape or form, 
you know, one of the better linebackers to, to play college football for the past three seasons and, you know, potentially be a, a first or second, maybe third round draft pick. Um, I don't want to speak for him and saying that he's definitely going after three seasons, but I mean, that's kind of the expectation you have when you sign, you know, the number one player at any position, you know, whether it's offense or defense is that these are guys that are viewed as, you know, three and done maybe may a player that, that that's on campus for four seasons. Um, he has a first round NFL draft grade from, from Greg Biggins uh, Ruben Foster is his is his com- player comp, and I believe Ruben Foster was even like a, a top fifteen pick in the draft. So if 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 he steps on campus and lives up to that expectation, yeah, Oregon's going to have uh, another first round player at the linebacker position. Um, I, I'm with you, Mikael Wright. I I think he we will learn a lot about him this season, but we'll learn even more about him in 2021 when he assumes one of the starting roles. Agreed. You know, and I think we could, we could see Michael go from a guy who dominates in a limited amount of snaps the, his first two seasons to a guy that dominates when he's, when he's a full-time starter and shoots up the, the NFL draft boards uh, as, a, as a true junior for the 2022 NFL draft. And then Javon Holland, obviously, he could go this year. Uh, I'm expecting him to go this year. I, I, he graduated in two years. That's remarkably impressive. Bonkers. So, so, so school's not going to be a, you know, he, it's not like, hey, I need to stay to get my degree because he's he's done that already. So we'll we'll see what happens with him. But I, I would I would be pretty shocked if if he didn't go pro uh, after this year. And he's another one though that's first round potential. I'm gonna guess our top two are the same too. Let's maybe. I don't know what to say debate, but let's discuss the order in terms of do we think Penny Sewell or Kayvon Thibodeau, both players we should say have been projected to be top two, top three, maybe even number one overall picks in their respective drafts. Obviously Sewell is eligible after this season, Thibodeau after 2021. I have Sewell above Thibodeau. Uh, maybe that's in part just because Sewell has had a little bit more opportunity to shine. Um, do you really have a strong inkling one way or the other? I kind of look at these guys and think they're kind of similar in terms of where their draft ceiling is because, like I said, I think either guy performs at a really high level over the next season or two seasons. They could be number one, two, three, or certainly in the top five of whatever draft they're in. Yeah, I I, I think Sewell's number one right now, but like you said, what, what, Kayvon Thibodeau could, could step onto the field as a sophomore and double his statistics and change my opinion. And right. he becomes he becomes like the clear cut number one draft pick for the twenty twenty two NFL draft, much like we've seen Penny Sewell become the clear cut non quarterback that, that you know if, if you're not gonna draft a quarterback uh in the twenty twenty one NFL draft, Penny Sewell's the, the, the number one player on, on everyone's board. Um I, I think but that could be said for for Kayvon, where he could he could elevate himself to the point where it's he might just be the overwhelming number one pick. Um, but we won't know that until games are, are played. And so right now, I, I think Sewell is one for me. KT is two, but they're pretty much interchangeable. Really quick before we hit the break, I, I wanted to. I felt like, and maybe you disagree. I felt like picking these five. The five was actually pretty easy. Yeah, um, I just kind of looked at it and went, "These are the five. Who I'm just looking at the roster right now going like, who might be a guy or two on it that we're not considering in this group, but who could also end up being a first-round talent 
And it's kind of it's kind of challenging to do because it's a lot of these guys are basically sight on scene. But to me, the two names that popped in my head were, were Noah Sewell, um, based upon the talent, and then Stephen Jones, based upon the size and everything we've heard, and the, just the fact that you got a six foot seven, nimble, three hundred and fifty pound kid on your team, um, that usually projects pretty well at the next level. Do you have a couple of other guys, maybe Matt, or maybe you agree with those two that you look at and think if it's not those five, these guys need to be at least acknowledged? Yeah, I, I think. I'm on board with coming out and saying Stephen Jones um, and Noah Sewell are are two other players that you th- you think could become first round draft picks. Other names that maybe aren't necessarily guys where I'm going to say they're first round draft picks, but I feel like could see their draft stock just explode. Um, Tower Shuck, like uh, he puts up good numbers as a, as a redshirt sophomore at Oregon. I mean he's going to be the buzz of NFL draft discussion for 2022 because he's six foot five, 220 pounds. And if he, and if he does what we expect him to do and put up good numbers, he's, he's going to be a name. And cause he can, he can move. He's a quarterback that can run. And so I think, I, I think Tyler Shuck will be one. I, I think Devin Williams could be a guy that he shows up as a redshirt sophomore this season and, what if he gets 50 catches and 850 yards and, and 10 touchdowns as a redshirt sophomore and this new offense, he's going to be another one that, you know, in 2022 at six foot five, 210 pounds is going to have a lot of people talking about him. Um, I, I kind of, Micah Pittman is one where I, I think it could go two different directions. Like I, I think he could be a guy that in 2020 that, sets himself up for a really, you know, exciting junior year in which he could go early or, or he could, he could come back for a senior year, but I'm not there yet for him. Um, defensively, I think, I think Brandon Dorless is going to be somebody that we're going to talk quite a bit about in the next couple of seasons. I think Popo Omave will be another one. Um, he outperformed Jordan Scott. I think the second half of the 2019 season. So Popo, you know, Popo is just sitting behind a really good player. that's just one year older than he is. Uh, and from a, actually they came in the same class. So, yeah. but Popo redshirted. Um, and then I, I go back to Michael Wright, Triquez Bridges, Jamal Hill, and DJ James. I think two of those four players, we know Michael Wright. So, between Jamal Hill, DJ James, and, and Traquan Bridges, I think one of those three guys will be on an NFL roster. I want to acknowledge the fact that Tyler Shuck is draft eligible after the <laughs> season. And uh, <laughs> it would be it would be a pretty big shock, I think, if he went pro, but Yeah, so we've seen Stranger Trump. Things, right? We have seen Stranger Things. I think this is a fun I think this is a fun discussion in terms of looking at this roster, I think another guy that I just thought of is Mace Funa, who probably should also be brought up. <laughs> but the reality is there's a lot of guys in this team that have that kind of upside. And, um, and there's probably a lot of guys that are even second, you know, I look at a guy like, what about Joe, Jonah Toyano? He was just as highly rated as a recruit as a Penny Sewell was. He just redshirted last year. He's Sewell's backup probably this year. Maybe he uses that year behind, you know, Penny uh, to really work on things. And by the time he's, a full-time starter potentially in 2021, he comes in and it's just a, a, you know, a revelation right away. So there are a lot of guys on this roster that I think you can get kind of excited about in those terms. Like what, what about like a guy like Verone McKinley? Sure. 
that, you know, he started 11 games as a freshman, redshirt freshman in 2019. And, and I don't think you can come out here and, and say that no one talks about him as this superstar NFL player, but he's got the genes. Uh, his dad played in the NFL. He's got the production in his first year. Certainly was, you know, a very integral part of Oregon's defense in 2019. And he's got, play, you know, position versatility. And that's everything right now in the NFL for defense because of the offensive changes that we're seeing swoop in. So, you know, Verone McKinley could be a guy that, you know, we're not talking a ton about in a couple of years could, could turn into that type of player. Or – a, a Trevin Mai or an Adrian Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, an Isaac Townsend, you know, three guys on the outside linebacker spots, all really big time athletes, um, especially Mai and Townsend. Um, Adrian Jackson's got the versatility to play inside and out. So like there's, a, I think there's a lot of guys on this team that are really exciting to, to monitor over the next two or three years to see how much development they get because they've got the ceilings to turn into some superstar players. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Three questions in, three questions to go here on the podcast. Fourth question from at Kyle S. Brown. Who are some dark horse candidates to join your list of the top 20 players at the end of the year? And on a somewhat related note, what are your expectations for Sean Dollars this season? Um, I How think about you answer I'll, the first one? Because he's, he's referencing your, your top 20 list. Yeah, he is. And I was going to say, I think Kyle's kind of asking me to put Sean Dollars in my list of candidates for Dark Horse for that spot. And, uh, and if you're not, Kyle, sorry for, for insinuating it incorrectly. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to put Dollars on my Dark Horse list because I just don't see that opportunity there for him given what's ahead of him at running back. Um, and, of course, that my opinion might change a lot when we get to fall camp and, and maybe – a lot has changed, and he's running with the, the twos or maybe even getting opportunities with the ones. But based on what we saw in the spring, based upon the fact that they have, you know, C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, Cyrus C.B.B. Leakey all back, um, who were obviously ahead of him last year, uh, I would expect he's a player that probably isn't in the top 20 list at the end of the season, but certainly a player of interest. Um, and, yeah, that he was referencing a top 20 players list that I did, not this last week, but the week before, 
Um, you can find that on the website. And I ran through it in, in groups of four, I think we, or five, I think we ran through it in the podcast as well. Um, other players that were on my, who are kind of on that cusp. Um, I know we've mentioned it on the podcast. I think Mace Foon is one that really deserves to kind of at least be acknowledged there. He's probably 21 in terms of the list. He probably could have been top 20. I think I acknowledged that. Um, I don't even know if that's a dark horse candidate. I think a couple of dark horse candidates I do like are though, are um, whoever wins the tight end job, because that one is such a, I think that could be a pretty big part of the offense. You look and see kind of the way Joe Moorhead uses his tight ends. Typically they're, they're fairly integral to the offense. I, I think if it's a McCormick or a Spencer Webb or, or Campmore and they win the job and end up being pretty involved both as blockers and as a passer, maybe if one player becomes that they can jump in there. Um, and I could see two players here that are three players here in this, at safety that are just kind of interesting that I didn't have on here that I know I mentioned before too, but Nick Pickett, Bennett Williams, and Verone McKinley are all sitting here, not on my list, as three players that – two of which have already started basically for a full season at Oregon. Bennett Williams was a freshman All-American at Illinois. So there's three really talented safeties Oregon has that weren't in my top 20 that I could see getting there. Um, I don't know – it's hard on the offensive line. I think guys I didn't have listed, um, like an Alex Forsyth maybe or a TJ Bass – um, are, are players that I think have upside to potentially start and, and be really good parts, you know, big contributors up front, I guess. Um, on the defense, I, I do like that Brandon Dorless pick Matt just mentioned. I, I do think there's upside for somebody from this defensive line group to really kind of surprise some people and, and create a role because you've got Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously, as your your star edge rusher. You've got Jordan Scott in the middle, and you have Austin Follow at the other end spot there just really isn't a clear-cut fourth guy in my mind. I think Dorless could become that, and I do like that as a pick potentially. Um, and, and then at linebacker, I've always been a big Adrian Jackson fan. Like Matt, I'm also high on what we've seen so far from my eye in Townsend. I think putting him in the top 20 feels excessive just considering the fact I don't see either of them having a starting job really available to them. They're both probably going to be backups, um, one behind Thibodeau, one behind Funet Stud probably. Um, and in the secondary, we've kind of, I think, mentioned all the guys. So um, I don't know. For you, Matt, are there players on this roster? And I know you don't have the whole top 20 list pulled up in front of you and you didn't memorize it like I did because I put it together. Are, are there players that you think on this, maybe, maybe, maybe similar to what we just did with the NFL draft thing, but just at the end of this specific season, are there two or three guys you could see elevating themselves where we're talking about them in that light after the year? Well, I don't think we had Verrell McKinley, right? We did not. Yeah, it's a good one. So that, that would be one that, that I, would, I would put on there. Um, we debated Mace Funa and his inclusion, so that would be another one that that I would have on the list. Um, I certainly think if Cam McCormick is healthy, yep, he can get himself on this list as well. Um, maybe, maybe a a a Devin Williams. He wasn't on the list, right? He, he was. He was, at, I think, at 15 or 16. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so maybe the I would play devil's advocate. Maybe Devin doesn't live up to to the expectation that we have of him, but a Brian Addison does. Yep. And it makes, you know, maybe Brian Addison elevates his game and beats out Devin Williams and turns into the receiver. Uh, that, that's the kind of the go-to, you know, possession guy opposite Johnny Johnson. So you know, I, I think there that gives you kind of an idea there. Um Maybe I'm going to throw this one out there for you. Maybe with the new offense and because taking into account CJ Verdell's durability that we've seen the last two years, Travis Dye. 
maybe mm-hmm. he maybe he has a year in which he maybe gets 800 yards uh, on the ground and 400 yards receiving and has some kind of role in return game as well and finishes you know with 1500 all-purpose yards 1600 all-purpose yards as a redshirt junior I like that one as well. I did write in my list here, maybe a running back question mark, but I, I, it was hard to kind of figure out how that's going to play out. I think you're right. I think the thing that Matt said that is, I think, a really good point is there are guys that I put on that list who haven't officially won their jobs that could lose their jobs to somebody else. So like a Devin Williams is a good pick because maybe Brian Addison beats him out and he's a far more integral player because Devin Williams is off the bench. So I think that has to be considered as well when you're talking about kind of how this comes together. Fifth question is kind of a fun one here. I'm kind of curious to see Matt's picks because, again, we don't talk about them beforehand, and I certainly kind of struggled here to figure this out. But at Tosh Myers asks, if you could put one football player on the basketball team and one basketball player on the football team, who would you pick and why? Um, I love that question, the ingenuity of it. Um, I'm going to start with the pick I feel most confident about, which I also don't feel confident at all because I have no idea if they have a sport, um, which is – like, what if you took C.J. Walker and you just put him out there as a goal line wide receiver? And you got like a six foot eight, six foot nine kid with what close to a forty inch vertical, and you just have him and long ass arms, and just have him go out there and play a jump ball. Um, that was the that was the name on the basketball side that that I thought of first. Um, Matt, how did you attack this? Because then I I have like twelve names for the football playing basketball. I did basketball first. We have different names. I did Eugene Umari okay. or um, Amarui. Um, that's how you pronounce Amarui's name. Uh, I said him because he's like six foot six, six foot seven, and like 240 pounds and just muscle. And I feel like off the edge or as maybe as a tight end, um, he could be a, a pretty pretty good weapon for the football team. We've seen a lot of players that are his body type transition over to football because they're they're just quite not tall enough for the NFL for the NBA. But as a tight end, at 6'6", 6'5", 6'7", 250, 240, 235 pounds, they're just a mismatch waiting to happen. All right, Matt, let's run through some of our picks from football to basketball. I don't know. I don't really know these players' athletic capabilities, but the first two names that came to my head were Spencer Webb and Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, Webb based purely on the athleticism. Thibodeau based on the fact that I think, like, at six foot six and let's say 245, 250, you could put him at power forward with his athleticism maybe, and he could just be a, a you know a dog on the defensive glass. Probably isn't going to contribute very much offensively based upon again my very little knowledge of these people's these these athletes' basketball skills. I have no idea if any of these players can even dribble, but um, I assume that they've probably played basketball at some point. I would just think if you put Thibodeau with his competitive drive and athleticism, he could make some stuff happen. Webb super athletic. I wrote down a couple other guys that are kind of fit that mold too. I thought. And I have actually watched Patrick Herbert play basketball for Sheldon. And yes. he's, he's certainly a decent – he's certainly a name to know. Like, he's a competent basketball player um, for sure. Devin Williams and Jarrett Waters are two players that are – I know I, I believe Waters did play high school basketball. I think I might have seen highlights of his. Um, but those are like six foot four, six foot five, lanky athletic guys. At the very least, they could be good defensive players on the perimeter with their athleticism. And then I got kind of creative here and grabbed a couple of offensive linemen and just said, if you took – Penny Sewell or Steven Jones, who are like 6'7", 330, and you put them at center, boy, that's going to be a really tough for the other team to match up with um, in the paint. Probably going to get 
exposed a little bit in the pick and roll. I don't know if they have the quickness to stick with like a five foot eleven point guard, but um, certainly some size to be imposing. Who, who did you think about for this? Because I couldn't come with one player to be honest. The first name that came up, I think I had was Penny Sewell, six foot six, three hundred thirty pounds, really athletic, big, strong dude that you could kind of use as like a a, a, a microwave backup center. Like, okay, we want to we want to send somebody out there that's just going to be tenacious and pester the other team's center and just kind of you know bull in a china shop type of mentality where he's just bruising everybody. And I think Penny Sewell fits that to a T, and he's he's super athletic. And so I think I think he could he could play that position. I had. Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert as two guys um, that I looked at and think, okay, these are two players that you know probably could play some kind of similar role to what I was describing about Penny Sewell, um, kind of like an enforcer type big man. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau would be another one that, that could fit that description. I, I kind of wonder what someone like Javon Holland would be like as, his, his sister plays college basketball. Yeah, uh, as like a wing defender. Mm-hmm. Like Holland is Holland is is pretty long. Um, he he's super smart, and he's tough as nails. And I feel like those types of guys, um, maybe a Trevin Mai too, could be just sort of pain in the asses on on defense. And I think that's where any football player is going to make their bread and butter as a basketball player is being just kind of this like defensive enforcer slash rebounder. Like, I don't think anyone out there is thinking these guys are going to become, you know, 20 point per game players at at the basketball level. No. And and you're talking about good defensive players and football being good defensive players in basketball. Mikhail Wright would probably be just an absolute lockdown guard defender. I'm sure he wouldn't be very fun to go against as an opposing point guard. All right, let's wrap it up here from at Willamette Duck. It's actually from the Ots and Audible's uh, Duck Territory message board as opposed to Twitter. Does Cam McCormick take over the starting tight end this year from Hunter Cantmoyer? Um, we kind of acknowledged the fact that McCormick is someone who could fit on my top 20 list if he's healthy and fully able to go. I think we're both in agreement here that, like, McCormick is probably the best case scenario at tight end. If he's healthy and the best version of him is available this fall, I think that's the best tight end possibility they have on the roster. It's just we, the uncertainty is we don't know if that's what we're getting. Yeah, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. If, if, if healthy, everyone's healthy. I, McCormick's the best tight end on the roster. He was last year. He was the, the year before that. His issue is the last two seasons – He's dealt with an injury that stemmed from the first game of the 2018 football season against Bowling Green. Yeah, I think it was what his fibula. He broke his fibula, and yep. in 2019 he tried to come back, but he dealt with some kind of you know re- issue that popped up from his rehab and from his healing process of that 2018 injury, and just couldn't get through it. And now he's now he's healthy again, and you have to wonder, you know. Will he stay healthy? But if he does, if, if we're in a perfect world situation, and clearly we're not in a perfect world right now, uh, but if, if we were and McCormick could stay healthy, 
I don't think there's a guy on the roster right now that matches what he can do in a one-season standoff in 2020 for Oregon football with everyone, uh, with wherever other tight end Oregon has on their roster, you know, in, in their current state uh, of development. I think McCormick is far and away the, the, the best tight end they have on the roster. It's just will he stay healthy for an entire year to allow Oregon to be able to, to use that to their advantage? Let me finish the show just with the coldest take ever, which is I don't expect Hunter Campmore to be the long-term starting tight end in 2020. Um, whether it's McCormick or it's Webb, or maybe it's a Patrick Herbert. I wouldn't be shocked if Campmore starts the season or is, is at least in that role early on. But I think by the end of the year, you're going to see one of those other three guys. DJ Johnson's name can be included. I just haven't seen enough of him actually playing, well, any, playing on the field period, but certainly at tight end to really – uh, have an idea for how he'll contribute, but I don't know if you agree with that, Matt. I'm I'm not of the opinion that I'm expecting Hunter Campmore to be starting in the Civil War in November for the Ducks. I think by that point in the season, somebody else have already won the job. I would I would argue I would say yes, I agree with that, but I would also argue that we could see like we could see Campmore start a majority of the games, but does he? play a majority of the snaps when the offense is out there, that's where I would lean. Um, because I think he is Oregon's best uh, line of scrimmage blocker Agreed. At, at the tight end position. And so knowing that Oregon is breaking in four new offensive linemen, it wouldn't help. It, it wouldn't hurt to have just an extra blocker on, along the offensive line as a tight end uh, to help you in that regard of pass blocking or run blocking um, for for the quarterback or the running back, and so I, I think I think, and we all know the DNA of Oregon football. You know, it, it's going to be you know based upon controlling the line of scrimmage and being able to to submit your opponent to an onslaught of rushing attacks. And Camp Moore provides Oregon the best option from a run perspective and from a pass blocking perspective at the tight end position. So I still think he could. He could, in theory, be the de facto starter for the year, but they then base his usage off of okay, are we getting success where we're you know running power every you know three or four plays, and you know we're going heavy sets and using multiple tight ends, and we need him out there, or the run game isn't working in its current regard, or the run game is working without the tight end staying in to block and by having a a more reliable pass catching tight end out there, we can enhance our offense even more. So I think there's going to be kind of a touch and feel um, usage with, with Camp Moore of how, how effective will he be? And if, and if he's minimally effective, can they get better results doing other things with the tight end position? Yep, all great points there, Matt, in terms of I, – and I don't want to dismiss Camp Moore's contributions. He certainly is a great inline blocker. We saw that last year. Um, but we also saw the shortcomings as a pass receiver, yes. and I think that's a big part. I mean, the drop the, passes in the Rose Bowl, um, yep. you know, there were a couple of them. There were, I think there was one against Auburn as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, he, he certainly is lower down the pecking order when it comes to receiving – uh, talent compared to the other tight ends. But, you know, just like on the other end of the spectrum, Spencer Webb has proven that he's a dy- you know, dynamic pass-catching tight end, but he's not the level of a blocker that Hunter Kentmoyer is. So Oregon's going to need to find some kind of balance between these guys because they can't have 
Camp Moyer and Webb and Herbert and, and McCormick shuffling in and out because then it becomes a pretty easy tell where, all right, Andre Camp Moyer is coming out. They're going to run the football more than likely. Uh, or Spencer Webb's coming out. Don't, don't worry about the run because they, you know, they throw the ball X percentage of time when, when he's out there at the receiver spot. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast, this mailbag edition. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. And again, if you want to consider subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, we have a promotion going forward right now, 50% off an annual membership. Uh, you already save $44 when our annual membership isn't on sale. And so you're saving just a huge chunk of money. Uh, you're, you're, you're paying like 38 bucks for the entire year of DuckTerritory.com. That's an incredible value because the month-to-month price is $9.95. So it just takes four months for you basically to, to start saving money uh, for the rest of the year if you go the annual membership route. Oregon's recruiting at a high level, top five, top ten class. Football is approaching. We are having players report to, to campus and whatnot. So now is the time if you're considering to subscribe to give us a try. And if you can't, that's totally fine too. You can do so. Uh, you can support us by listening to this podcast, by giving us reviews, uh, by sharing it with your friends and family and whatnot. So plenty of ways that you can support us financially or, or uh, marketing-wise for the Odds and podcast. And for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Frame. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, fellas. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.